You're listening to Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast hosted by Brandon Apter and Jesse Larch, part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com. Garbage into gold. Welcome back in to another episode of Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast, part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter, now joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch. Jesse, are you ready to talk some Sixers training camp that starts tomorrow? Oh, basketball's in the air. Fall's finally here. I mean, this is the best time of year, October sports. Football, hockey, basketball, everything's going on. And the disappointment of Philly season is prize is is finally behind us for now. Finally behind yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. Basketball is in the air. I've gotten to the point where in order to do cardio, I'm not doing the treadmill anymore. I'm just going to some random elementary school after work and just shooting hoops and drawing up game situations to pass the ball to myself. That's that's how hype I am for, for Sixers basketball. Are you that hype? You're just- I mean, I'm going there, and I'm making sure I'm dunking on all those kids. Yeah. Make sure they know what's up. I don't up. go during school you know, hours. Tell them, I go after. Look, they got to trust the process young, and that's what I'm there for. That's, that's very true. Very true. We are trusting the process. Joel Embiid said he doesn't care about the process after they lost to the Raptors in Game 7, but the process is still alive, and it's back because the process is never-ending. And the process continues as we head into training camp, which begins at the Sixers practice facility in Camden, New Jersey. Tomorrow, October the 2nd, runs through the 4th, and then the Sixers open up the preseason on October the 8th, which is a week from tomorrow, uh, against a Chinese basketball association squad, the Lions. I can't really pronounce the city, nor did I do research on how to pronounce the city. But yeah, they they open their preseason up at home at the Wells Fargo Center. Lots of storylines as we head into training camp. And we're just going to lay some of them out for you now. And then we'll likely have a show before the first preseason game, preseason game to break down anything that happened at training camp or, or stuff like that. But starting off, one of the positions that uh, didn't necessarily take a hit, but is definitely changed for the 2019-20 season is the backup point guard battle. So you have Ben Simmons as the starting point guard. Uh, Towards the end of last year, when Ben Simmons would go to the bench, sometimes Jimmy Butler would run the offense. And if it got to a point where they needed a surge, TJ McConnell would potentially run the offense. But those guys are not here anymore. So now we have a battle going into training camp with three guys, probably really two guys, um, that, that have, you know, a good amount of NBA experience, but never really excelled in any place that they've been. We have Raul Neto, we have Trey Burke and Shake Milton, who is a Sixers draftee. Uh, Raul Neto coming off of, uh, you know, he's kind of an injury prone point guard, can shoot the three. And then Trey Burke is is well-traveled, just never quite lived up to his draft potential. And Shake Milton is one of those players that got drafted in the second round a couple of years ago. But, you know, he got a little bit of an extended look uh, last season, you know, didn't really look ready for the NBA stage. So heading into training camp, what do you make of this backup point guard battle? Who do you think will come out on top? 
Well, first, I just want to correct you real quick. It's Howl. The R is Howl. Like yeah. Off. Sorry, I was in my role. You know. Yeah. So you can edit I, that out, right? Let's just. Yeah. Okay. Nah, I want everyone to hear you wrong. <laughs> um, with Neto, I mean, I really don't know too much about him. From what I've seen, he's like a solid enough shooter. Just across the board, just a really average offensive player, kind of. And maybe I'm doing this just because they're both Spanish. But, like, I just keep thinking about Sergio Rodriguez, who wasn't bad. But, I mean, wasn't necessarily someone that we miss. Um, Trey Burke, I think it should be his job to lose. I think he's proven more in his NBA career that he can be a difference maker. And I think he's also another one of those guys that has that attitude that we've referenced before with Mike Scott and James Ennis and Kyle O'Quinn where they'll come in and they're scrappy and they're willing to fight for every loose ball and they want to win every possession. So I think he's the guy. I mean, we've seen him have some real success with the Knicks in the past. Um, And he was a guy that he showed so much skill coming out of college that never really kind of appeared. And he didn't shoot terribly from three last year. He shot 35.2%. You know, he's a guy that'll shoot mid 35%. So coming off the bench for a guy, like you said, that is scrappy. And and we've seen him with the Knicks and other teams be able to just come off the bench and score points in bunches. Yeah, and that's really something they haven't had, um, especially with the point guards of the past. But... You know, to get if you can come in and get six, eight points in a quick burst from Trey Burke, that'll be a huge difference maker for this team. The one thing I keep thinking about, and it most likely won't happen, but I just think about Shake Milton having that familiarity value. And we've seen it with Brett and TJ, where I mean, we all love TJ McConnell, but we also can admit that he was not the most skillful player. And I think Shake Milton might get a bit of an extended look here from Brett, or Brett might be quick to put him in games over maybe Neto, just because Brett has had him for a year or two now in the system. Yeah. But overall, I really would be surprised if Trey Burke isn't the guy coming to handle the ball after Ben Simmons this year. Yeah, and I, I, I'd have to agree with you there. I haven't seen enough of Neto to, to really know. I know he's... Again, like I said before, he's dealt with his fair share of injuries, but his last healthy season, he shot near uh, 40% from beyond the arc. So really, when it comes to shooting, and we've talked about it before, they're going to need shooting. You know, they're they're going to be a very good defensive team, but you can't necessarily rely on that to, to help score you points all the time. So having both of those guys at your disposal would probably be good if they can hit three pointers consistently. And like you said, with shake Milton, you might have that familiarity side to it, but I still don't think he's proved enough. And just listening to Brett Brown talk uh, during his media luncheon, you know, we went over some of the stuff that he said, but you know, wa- watching over some of the Twitter videos and stuff and, and seeing his tone of voice and, and how he spoke. Like, I don't think that he's the same Brett Brown that is just going to, well, he's being in the system. So we'll give him a chance. I think he knows that, uh, you know, the margin for error is very small. And I don't think shake Milton, unless he really impresses in training camp and preseason is going to have a, a spot on in the rotation because again, he's, he's a guy that can play shooting guard too, and he can be on the wing uh, but there's also a lot of guys uh, jockeying for position for those spots, which we'll talk about later. So, yeah, I think Burke is really the guy 
that you want to see a lot from in training camp because you got to get points from your reserves. That was one of their biggest issues last year throughout the season. They had trouble scoring points off the bench. Mike Scott should be big with that as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they mix in with their rotations, which is a segue into what we're going to talk to next. Um, it's really how the rotations will work. Uh, who's the first person out? I think we've gotten used to Joel Embiid being one of the first guys out. So once Embiid heads to the bench, you imagine um, Al Horford shifts to the five, Mike Scott goes to the four. What beyond that do we see in terms of rotations? I think it'd either be Horford or Richardson, the next one off. Um, part of the part of the good thing about having Al Horford is that versatility where he can play the five. So obviously the big issue last year is when MB left the floor, there was a massive hole at the five and Horford fills that, but keep in mind Horford's up there in years too. So they might want to save his legs. So I wouldn't be surprised if early in games, we do see Horford and Embiid both on the bench right? and maybe O'Quinn and Scott at the four and the five, or maybe even Bolden gets a look once in a while. Um, but then I think you would expect Richardson. You would think Simmons and Harris are going to get, you know, 38, 36 minutes a night. And if you're going to if you're going to short anyone in minutes, it's probably Josh Richardson right now. And that would be James Ennis coming in for him. But aside from, I mean, really Burke, Ennis, Scott and O'Quinn, I think that's a pretty solid and pretty set rotation. I don't think you need to go past a nine guy rotation with this lineup. Yeah, yeah, and and you you mentioned all those guys, and we haven't necessarily even even talked about you know the the rookies or, or the young guys yet who will definitely have an opportunity to to go in and out of there. But you imagine that the rotation will be somewhat similar, and that Ben Simmons will probably stay in the game through Joel Embiid's first break, and then Embiid will come back when Ben Simmons takes his first break because I don't see really a time where one of Simmons or Embiid is not on the floor, especially to start games in the first quarter. I think Brett's heard that criticism before where he might be aware of not doing that anymore. Cause I, I know at least, you know, from live tweeting games and things like that, you would definitely see the fans get upset when there'd be inexplicable runs with no Ben, no Butler, no Embiid. And it seemed to happen not every game, but it was somewhat regularly. So I think that's something that you'd expect Brett to look at, especially as you mentioned, talking about guys like Shake Milton, how Brett's really got a new sense of urgency right now. And I think it's you might see it impact the way this team operates this year for the better. You know, when it, when you talk about those rotations and and we've already talked about it a lot this episode, when it comes to scoring one of the biggest expectations we have or people have is to see Ben Simmons have a little bit of an uptick in scoring. And that's going to be probably the storyline going into training camp when that begins tomorrow and um, going into the preseason. You know, we talked about it when we talked about Brett Brown's quotes, uh, but touching on, we, we know about the jumpers. We know about the jumpers one of the things that we mentioned that we were going to talk about is this article uh, that Simmons sat down with somebody from the Associated Press and talked about what he did over the summer, how confident he was coming into this season, and and that, you know, the outside noise is something that he used to listen to, but something that he is not necessarily tuned into much anymore. 
But the biggest thing coming out of that is that he fell back in love with the game of basketball. So he mentioned that last season he didn't really feel like he enjoyed the game. And and that's a little concerning to hear because obviously it was a team, a team at the time with championship aspirations, making trades for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris to, to bring you to a championship. So obviously there's a lot of movement in there with chemistry, a lot of different factors going on. But what do you think may have led Simmons to, to lose his enjoyment of the game? Do you think it was more outside noise, roster turnover? I mean, if he said he was listening to the outside noise, that probably played a factor. I think it would be more the roster. And what I mean when I say that is Ben found himself in a spot last year that when he was struggling, the team could get points from other places. So in a way, I think it might have aided him to know that he was almost replaceable. That when you know if Ben was having an off night or he was disappearing from the score sheet, Butler could pick it up. Harris could pick it up. You know, they had a bench that could actually, you know, give the team some points. So it wasn't like Ben was as vital as he once was to the team. And, I mean, for a young player, especially one that was in the public eye as much as he was with his relationships and just playing in a city like Philadelphia, where that can tend to be a little bit volatile when players don't perform well, I'm sure it was a new experience for him. But from the way he sounds in this interview, I mean, he took it all on the chin and he's better for it. And that's what I'm more excited about is to see which Ben Simmons we get this year because it sounds like we're getting the Ben Simmons we've all been waiting for. Yeah, and the exact quote, uh, just pulled it up. Um, I kind of got back to who I was and having fun with the game. I felt like this past season I lost that enjoyment side of it, but I feel like this summer has been huge for me, just the work I've been putting in. I kind of fell in love with putting that work in again, and I've been in the gym every day working, and the results have been paying off, so I'm excited for the season to start. And he also mentioned, despite the outside noise, that he loves playing in the city of Philadelphia, and he wouldn't want to be anywhere else, and he thinks that um, it's a perfect place for him to play, and he handles the criticism as it comes. You know, when it comes to his game, obviously the jumpers is what people go to, but I think one of the biggest issues I had with him last year is that there were instances where, you know, even when Embiid was playing well or Butler was playing well, where he was a little bit too passive. You know, you saw him kind of pick up speed and drive into the lane just to jump and then pass it to the perimeter. I think he needs to be a little bit more decisive when he makes moves like that, especially since you're going to have such a big starting five around him. Um, and really, you need to see more consistent aggression from him. You see nights where he looks like he is the best player on the floor, and then other nights where you just wonder where that fire lit under his ass was. So I think that's another thing that we need to see uh, from Ben Simmons this year, and hopefully that what what he talked about, falling back in love with the game, makes him more thirsty to be able to go into each game wanting to attack the basket and really be the best version of himself. Well, this goes back to what I just said about the roster construction. I think Ben is going to be forced to be more aggressive this year. You know, there aren't, I mean, you still have Harris and Embiid, but it's really not set up to lean on guys outside of Ben and Joe mm. and Tobias. And I think it's an environment that's going to force Ben to be the Ben that we all want. And from some of Brett's comments that we discussed in the previous episode, Brett's going to put him in positions to have to be that guy. And I think either if he wants to, or if he's forced to, we're going to see Ben develop this year. 
and become more of that killer that really we they need. Not even that we want. This team can't go anywhere without Ben Simmons taking a step. Yeah. And I'm I'm confident he's going to do it. But that I mean, we'll have to see how long it takes all him si- to get there. Yeah, all the signs right now are pointing towards that happening. And if that happens, that number one seed is going to be hard to lose, barring health, of course, because that's always a thing that strikes Philadelphia at the worst time, health issues, uh, whether it's gastroenteritis, which probably would have been a good podcast name because of how often the Sixers get gastroenteritis. Should have thought about that one. Um, or or reevaluating yeah, the week. The reevaluation pod. Yeah, I don't know. We'll think. We'll see how big this gets, and maybe we'll have sub pods. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so one of the other things that I mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking about the backup point guard battle and Shake Milton, how he doesn't necessarily have to be a point guard. He can also play the wing a little bit and hit the three, but the wing is a little bit crowded now because last year we did not really get to see any of Zaire Smith. The team didn't have Matisse Thibel and now you also have James Ennis who gave the team some really strong minutes in the playoffs and the end of the season. And you also have Furkan Korkmaz who had a really, really good FIBA tournament. And uh, Brett Brown said during his media luncheon that Korkmaz is definitely going to be in the mix for rotational minutes wing off the bench. So you look at guys like Zaire and Matisse, you know, they're defensive specialists. You look at guys like Ennis and Korkmaz, and they are guys that you would probably take off the bench to, you know, get you a quick bucket. But for me, starting with these guys, I obviously want to see Matisse and Zaire out there as early as possible. Get them, get them, throw them into the fire early in the season. I think during summer league play, Thibel really showed off like a surprisingly good three-point look. Um, you know, Zaire's defense is one of the things that I'm like most looking forward to seeing and his explosiveness uh, going to the rim on offense. But when uh, for a guy like James Ennis, I think you'll get what you got from him last season. But this is probably the most important training camp and important preseason for a guy like Furkan Korkmaz, because after all last year where he requested a trade, you know, got minutes here and there and then ended up back out of the rotation. He's excelled time after time in EuroLeague ball and in the FIBA tournaments, but he has not been able to translate that to the NBA. So looking at these wing players, Zaire, Matisse, James Ennis, and Furkan Korkmaz, you talked about that nine-man rotation. Who do you think out of this group really ends up on the top as those guys in the regular rotation for Brett Brown? I think Ennis and Korkmaz are the obvious picks. Um, Maybe, I mean, I can see Thibel and Zaire challenging Korkmaz, but I think Ennis is, you have to lock him in there, Um, especially after what he gave you last year. And just, you know, part of this, part of the philosophy on this roster's construction was about getting that veteran mindset, and Ennis brings that. And really, I'd say he's the player that hustles most from the guys returning from last year. Um, I mean, I thought there were times where the effort from some guys could have been better. And I never thought that with James Ennis. He was always the guy diving on the deck to get a loose ball. With Korkmaz, like you said, he does great in international play and, again, somewhat lesser competition. Um, But I think you could see him kind of, especially if the team's in a shooting funk, I could see Brett throwing him out there, giving him a lot of the same actions that J.J. Redick was running the last two years. Um, And I'm with you 100% when you talk about 
um, the excitement around Zaire and his athleticism. I mean, we all know that defense is his specialty, but I think he has massive potential as a guy cutting to the rim and, you know, doing things like doing things off the ball that can really make a difference on the offense. Thibel, I think, kind of is limited to being a catch-and-shoot player on offense, but his defense is certainly for real. There's scenarios where I can see all the guys playing, but I would expect James Ennis to take the bulk of the minutes, as he should right now. Unless, like, Zaire or Thibel come in and just blow it out of the water, it should be James. Like, if playoff time comes around, James Ennis should be the guy coming up. Yeah, I think starting off in the season, once Brett is trying to figure out what his rotations are, I think Zaire and Thibel could probably get, like, 8 to 10, maybe 8 to 12 minutes a game to start. I don't think there's a scenario where they don't play though at least not to start you know i know this is a team with championship aspirations but one of the other things that brett brown mentioned is that you know they're in the business of developing players too so i think that's going to be a big big focus as well is that you know the nba is an 82 game season so especially at the beginning when you're trying to work out chemistry i think that is the time where guys like zaire and matisse thibel should get an opportunity to prove themselves a little bit more than once you get into like the mid, you know, end of the season where you're just like, well, we haven't really played these guys and, and we don't really know what they are yet because I think they're a little bit above playing in the G league at this point, but you don't want them necessarily to be a DNP coach's decision uh, in the middle of the season either. So I think, when you talk about depth, and I think in our first episode we mentioned the depth with Mike Scott and uh, Kyle O'Quinn and 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 uh, you know Trey Burke and those guys, but we didn't really mention the defensive depth that they have with with Zaire and, and Matisse, and and that's huge when you have guys like Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, already guys in the starting lineup where they're preaching defense, and now you can go to a bench of young talented player that that defense is their forte so this team is built on defense and it's going to be interesting to see how these young guys get plugged into that rotation early in the season and they're going to have to of course Jonah yeah. Bolden in that too where i mean his his block shots per minutes played is absolutely insane so i mean to have a true rim protector like he is off of the bench and clearly he's still rounding out his game um he doesn't have much of a post game and his shot very is very inconsistent but but the form yeah. is there with Jonah Bolton's shot. So there's belief that he could start hitting it regularly. And if he can learn how to, you know, get inside and bang a little bit, I mean, that's another guy that you could for have sure. for the long haul. Those guys like Scott and O'Quinn, they're nice to have. And, I mean, I am I know you have some of your issues with the Mike Scott high, but I consider <laughs> myself to be a part of it. As much as I love Mike Scott, he's not here. Well, I don't have an issue with the Mike Scott Hive. I have a lot of people that I know in the Mike Scott Hive and that I like in the Mike Scott Hive. But I think there was a time on Twitter a couple weeks ago where it seemed like every single day Mike Scott was like the only thing being talked about. And so when it comes down to it, and this is a very, very, you know, just statement from how I feel is that in in seven or eight years when we're looking back on this Sixers team, I just feel like he's going to be pretty inconsequential. And that that is having nothing to do with the amount of community work that he's done and the really awesome things he's done to connect with the city of Philadelphia. But it's just like, you know, his, his presence in the community and everything is great. But again, in, in seven or eight years, unless he plays finals hero, 
I don't necessarily see him being too consequential to this franchise when you look long term. Not to the franchise, but yeah. I think so to the fan. Yeah, base. I mean, this is the first time that we've seen fan groups for a while. That used to be the Phillies thing with uh, the Padilla Flotilla and the Wolf Pack and stuff like that. But this is this is uh, light years ahead of that. No, this this has social media yeah. behind it. This is the twenty first. Very true. Um, the last thing that I have on my list to talk about, and I think it should be pretty short because I think we have both talked about Brett Brown in, in pretty good length leading up to this episode. Even our third episode, we've talked about how much we support Brett Brown and, and how he's been the face of the organization. Um, so he he kind of rides or dies with the fan base. You know, if the rotations aren't good, you're going to hear it. Um, if if they win a game, you're going to not really hear about it. He's like an offensive lineman in football. If you don't hear about him, then he probably coached a good game. If you hear about him, it's normally because people are upset at something that he did or he did not do when it comes to Brett Brown's leash. You mentioned, I think in the last episode that he's earned himself another couple of years in Philadelphia. And I'd probably agree with you. I don't think it's to a point where if they get to the second round and lose that you need to fire the coach unless it's like embarrassingly bad in a sweep sort of way. So I think aside from any like disastrous performances, consecutively like if they collapse like the 2019 Phillies do did uh, I, I don't see Brett Brown losing his job during the season or after the season I'd agree with that um if they go out in the second round I'd say that couple of years I said he's yeah. earned goes down to one more year I mean anything short of like a first round sweep I think yeah. Brett's back next year honestly like you don't Technically, they don't owe him anything, but they owe it to him. Somehow they found this guy to come in here who had a very strong resume, probably could have got mm-hmm. jobs in better situations, and he picked Philadelphia. He said how he wanted to build this, and he's committed to it. This is five, five, six years now where he had to spend the first three or four of those years just absolutely wallowing, getting called every name in the book by national media, not having a chance to really compete until two years ago and i mean time after time he you know really yeah i could talk about it for hours i love brett brown i got a lot of respect for what the guy's done and just based on what he's already done what he's he put his career on the line for the philadelphia 76ers and there's no arguing that and because of that i think the ownership and the front office owes him the right to try to get a ring for not only himself, but for this city. Cause honestly it won't feel as good if they fire Brett Brown and a Mike D'Antoni or a doc rivers comes and takes us to win a chip. Yeah. I'll be happy. We won, but it won't feel as good as if Brett Brown gets yeah. to lift the Larry Gosh. O'Brien trophy. I would sob tears. I, like I, I really can't think of a guy that deserves yeah. that honor more. Cause I mean this, they've dealt him so many shit hands. And he has come out and won the hand every single time. And it's just remarkable to watch. So just on that alone, I have so much respect for Brett Brown that I I would hate to see him go. I understand sports are a business, but I think he's a case where you make an exception and you you give him a little bit bit more leash than you might need to. Because I think he's definitely earned that. Kind of how Andy Reid had with the Eagles where, you know, we knew the time was done, but 
you did so much for us. You're the greatest coach in team history. Let's, you know, let's let you try to yeah. resurrect the ship. No, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And, um, <clears throat> you know, listening, listening to his pregame and postgame stuff, I just feel like I learn a little bit more about the game of basketball every time that he speaks. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. Again, barring any disastrous outcome of the season, like you said, first round sweep or not make the playoffs really at all. I think if there are any big injuries that gives him an excuse too, but, um, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, that about wraps up our garbage into gold training camp preview. We want to thank everybody for listening. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are also available on Spotify, Google Play, and Anchor.fm. You can find me, Brandon Apter, on Twitter at BAPTER23. You can find Jesse at Jesse Larch. Make sure that you are following along with our host site, uh, which is Philadelphia Sports Nation. They cover all Philly sports, Eagles, Flyers, Sixers, Phillies. Um, so you can follow their main Twitter account at PHL Sports Nation and the Sixers part of that account at PHL Sixers Nation. Uh, they recently announced that Inside the Birds, hosted by Jeff Mosher and Adam Kaplan, was a part of the Philadelphia Sports Nation podcast network. So that's a super exciting development for the site. We're very excited to have them as a part of the family. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back probably next week at some point to preview the first game of Sixers preseason and wrap up any training camp stories that, that we can. But again, we appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next time on another episode of garbage into gold, a Philadelphia sports nation podcast.